the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3, and we will begin covering verses 9 through 15. Please stand with me as we read his word. Paul writes, But avoid foolish and ill-informed and stupid controversies and genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. After a first and second warning, reject a divisive man who promotes heresy and causes dissension. Ban him from your fellowship and have nothing more to do with him. Well aware that such a person is twisted and is sinning, he is convicted and self-condemned and is gratified by causing confusion among believers. This personal concerns, starting with verse 12, he says, When I send Artemis and perhaps Tychius to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend winter there. Do your best to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they are supplied and lack nothing. Our people must learn to do good deeds, to meet necessary demands, whatever the occasion may require, so that they will not be unproductive. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Verses 10 and 11. This speaks directly to the exercise of church discipline. After the first and second warning, reject a divisive man who promotes heresy and causes dissension. Ban him from your fellowship. Have nothing more to do with him. Well aware that such a person is twisted and is sinning. He is convicted and self-condemned and is gratified by causing confusion among believers. Again, this is the exercise of church discipline as it was articulated by Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. And after a first and second warning, reject a divisive man, a factious man. Now this could be applicable to those who teach error, but it's not restricted to that. It could be referring to anyone who incites division among the brethren. Someone who subtly invites a criticism. Someone who might point out a bit of slander. That is division. Now at that level we're not invoking church discipline. 
But we certainly need to allow the discipline of the Spirit of God to seal our lips and the person who's listening needs to seal their ears. And if they're in the right relationship, they need to say, oh, wait, wait, we're not going to go there. I love you. I love you too much to watch you injure yourself like this. Because that's exactly what we do when we begin to to let go and, and divide among the brethren. And I've seen it happen, and so do some of you people who've been in the church a long time. You see this happen over the color of carpet. Over temporal things, we become divisive. Over parking spaces, we become divisive. And this is what the enemy's about. And it doesn't matter what it is, as long as he can separate us. As long as he can divide us. The exercise of church discipline. Now, if you have division in the church, Paul is saying, confront it. Don't ignore it. Don't even give it a separate platform. Don't allow it to go on. Confront it so that you can lead those who are involved to repentance. So that there can be healing. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Only be sure, lead your lives in a manner that will be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I do come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit and one purpose, with one mind, striving side by side as if in combat. For the faith of the gospel. This oneness is a position of protection. It is a position that defends and protects you. Because when you go behind the shepherd, along with the assembly, you are guarded to the right and to the left. And you can see with clarity the way of God. It is the heart of the people that protects the assembly. It is the heart of them that determine by faith that I want above anything else. I desire, I crave, I need the intimacy of my God, the walk with my Savior, the oneness with His heart. I want to know Him. I don't need to know every little jot and tittle that is written about Him. I just want to know Him. If that's your appetite, if that's your passion, if that's your desire, if you've been walking in a path and every little expansion, every little revelation gives you a greater picture of Him, you will find that as you go along, it won't matter what you face. Paul says, I don't think it really matters what I face. I don't think it really matters. It's inconsequential what I may face. As long as I am going forward, pressing forward towards the high calling. The high calling. You know what the high calling is? Guess what? You were called to Him. Is you are called to Him and you are marching in, in His path, growing in expansion, so that when you get to Him, you're going to see more of Him than you've ever known. 
And you're going to walk to Him and you're not going to be limited by flesh anymore. You're not going to be limited by your doubts and your fears. You're not going to be limited by man's description of who Jesus is. You're going to see Him in His fullness. But until then, the fullness of God is known in hunger. The fullness of God is known in sickness. The fullness of God is known in the hardships of this life. The fullness of God is known in the shallowness of this worldly existence. And that is why in this world there will be trouble, but not the kind of trouble that devastates the child of God or causes them to lose life. We need to guard the church, the assembly, with truth. Truth that each one of you latches hold of and grows in and becomes closer and more intimate and more aware of the heart of their father. Because I want to tell you, a child of God who's well nurtured is not tempted by the sweet morsels of this world. It's those who've been digging around and not eating what God, what the shepherd, the green pasture that he brought you to. There's no room for the divisive man who promotes heresy and causes dissension. The term heretic, when this was written, simply meant to choose, to prefer a side or a sect. In this context, it means to choose to hold to a teaching or an idea that is against the whole. Someone who has chosen not to submit to the church leadership or to that of the scripture. The verb says to reject someone after a proper warning as Jesus outlined in Matthew 18. And again, church discipline. And its goal is to restore, to heal. It is redemptive. Paul commands in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 25 to be gentle, to gently instruct We want to restore. We're praying for repentance. This is discipline, not punishment. One of the things I told my kids as they were coming up, when they complained about getting in trouble and being punished or disciplined, I would tell them, no, we discipline you. But if you refuse to learn, if you refuse to take heed of our warning." And you go out into the world, we discipline you, but the world will punish you. It's true. And the only reason the child of God will survive the punishment of the world is because of the grace of God that attends him. Many, all of us can give witness to this truth. Paul commands that we gently restore them. The word warning is the Greek word And it's also the word we use concerning counseling. So a gentle counseling or warning. And remember the father's treatment of the prodigal. He embraced him, but not until, hear me, not until the prodigal came and was ready to enter into his identity. The father received him according to his identity. The father never received him according to the filth on his clothes, the smell with which he reeked, his rebellion. He didn't receive him on that level. He didn't receive him of his greed and his selfishness. He didn't receive him of the time that he spent away in the brothels of the far city. He didn't receive him in that context. 
But he received him according to his identity. His son, my son who is lost, has returned. And there's a lesson in that. Because when we receive back, we receive them back as who they are in Christ. Not as the the believer who fell. Not as the believer who stumbled. We receive them as God receives them. As he receives you. Now let's look at Paul's closing instruction. Verse 12. When I send Artemis, or perhaps Tychius to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to help Zenos the lawyer and the and Apollos on their way. See that they are supplied and lack nothing. Our people must learn to do good deeds to meet the necessary demands, whatever the occasion may require, so that they will not be unproductive. After all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace, peace be with you all. Now, this is obviously directed to Titus. And Paul tells Titus, take care of Artemis and Tychius, Zenos and Apollos. And Paul instructed Titus to leave Crete and come to him. But Paul wouldn't have left the churches in Crete without leaving someone in charge, someone he trusted. So he writes, come to me when I send Artemis and Tychius. In other words, let them come and then you come and meet me in Nicopolis. And we don't know anything about Artemis. We know he must have been strong in the truth because Paul trusted him to take on the setting things in order in the churches in Crete. And Tychius... We do know that he accompanied Paul on the missionary journey from Corinth to Asia Minor, as recorded in Acts chapter 20. He was a man who delivered the Ephesian letter and the Colossian letter, probably at the same time. He is described in Colossians 4 as a beloved brother, a faithful servant, a fellow bondservant in the Lord. And he is mentioned at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it indicates that he was sent to Ephesus to replace Timothy. So Paul writes, When I send either Artemis or Tychius to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis. Now, I wondered about Nicopolis. Why would anybody want to go to Nicopolis? What's Nicopolis about? The historian Zahn tells us there were approximately nine cities that were named Nicopolis. The name comes from two words, polis meaning city, and nik or naki, from the word victor or victory or conquer. So when generals won an impressive battle, they would memorialize their triumph by naming a Nicopolis. They did this by planting cities called Nicopolis or victory towns around And this victory town, Paul is referencing, is likely the one on the coast, a commercial seaport, which was a Roman colony founded by Octavian, later known as Augustus after the Battle of 31 BC, and at Atrium where he defended Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Macedonia and Crete were about the same difference uh, in distance from Nicopolis. So Paul writes concerning Zenos the lawyer and Apollos. And he says, we don't know, actually we don't know anything about Zenos. I will tell you this, he's the only lawyer that's mentioned by name in the Bible. Draw your own conclusions. 
So we don't know anything about Zenos other than he was a lawyer and had a Roman name and that he was a trusted friend of Paul. And if anyone could use a good lawyer, Paul could. He was the only lawyer mentioned by name. And Apollos, we know about. He is the eloquent Jewish preacher from Alexandria who was mighty in the scriptures according to Acts 18. He came to Ephesus and was taught by Aquila and Priscilla. And he ministered in Corinth. Verse 14 says, Our people must learn to do good deeds, to meet necessary demands, whatever the occasion may require, so that they will not be unproductive. Now, Paul now addresses the people. He's speaking to the congregation. He says, you must learn to do good deeds, to practice. Now, this is not the first time that he's written this. We've looked at it several times. He, verse 1, chapter 3, be ready for every good deed. Verse 8, be careful to engage in good deeds. And then chapter 2, verse 14, he writes about Christ who willingly gave himself to be crucified on our behalf to redeem us and purchase our freedom from all wickedness and to purify for himself a chosen and very special people to be his own possession who are enthusiastic for doing what is good. Now, if you read verse 14 of chapter 2, you see where the motivation and the power for doing good deeds come from. Now, that that verse and those having to do with doing and good deeds have been twisted and we've been beaten up with them like a rolled up newspaper. But you need to see it in its proper context. Because he's not asking you to become something you're not. He's not asking you to accomplish something in the flesh. Because what would that be worth? What he's talking about, and notice in verse 14, this is what I loved about this. He says he's chosen for himself a a very special people to be his own possession who are enthusiastic for doing what is good. Now look. Doing what is good is born out of who he created you to be, who he chose you to be. And when he says he chose you for himself, he's not talking about, oh, I'll take him and I'll take him. What he's talking about is literally those whom he has made for himself. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Now, what have we learned about the new creation? We have learned that the new creation, who we are in Christ, at the center of our being, no longer walks this earth looking for the world to tell them who they are. That was our condition before we met Christ. Before we met Christ, our school chums, our professors, our parents, our bosses, Our friends, they all defined us. They all told us who we were. Perhaps even our spouses told us who we were. In fact, everything around us is trying to convince us of some sort of identity. But here's what is being said here about the truth of the new creation. You were created for good deeds and who you are is at the center of you. Now, we've talked about this a lot. But I'm going to bring it up again and illustrate it again. He says that we are new creations. 
that He's put His life in us, that He's put His character in us, He's actually given us His mind, that we are complete in Christ, that all that we need, everything that we want to be, is at the center of our being in Christ. He says we're complete in Christ. Now there's an obvious disconnect between who we are at the spirit level and who we feel ourselves to be at the mind, will, and emotion soul level, isn't there? Why? Because we do not allow our soul to be filled with the truth of our spirit. And you know what? It doesn't, it's not supposed to stop there. I am the vine, you are what? Well, how do branches receive the life of the vine? From without? Are the branches hopping around to the vine saying, Feed me? Fill me? Make me something? I want to do good works? Would you empower me to do good works? Are the branches doing that? How are they bearing fruit? Where does it come from? From within. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me, I'll abide in you. And you will do what? Bear much abundant fruit. That's what he says. He even says, I have come that you might have life. And that you might have it what? Abundantly. Now how's that going to happen? Does that mean the branch hops around asking God for more life? No, it flows from the vine, from the center of who we are. It flows naturally. We don't have to invite it. We don't have to suck it out like a siphon hose. It literally flows like rivers of living water. Now, if I'm going to know what good deeds are, if I'm going to express the fruit of Christ, because that's what the fruit of the Spirit is, if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to bear that from the branch, I have to have the life of the vine pour its life through me, and I have to express it. Now, here's the problem. He says, love an enemy. Well, I'm not loving that idiot. I'm not having anything to do with him. Right? Right? Isn't that how we treat an enemy? Not going to love him? God says, no. You don't understand. He says, husbands, love your wife. Have you seen the woman I'm married to? Have you spent any time listening to her? How's that supposed to happen? You're Jesus. You're the only one that can love her. He says, no. Love your wife. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, honor and obey your husband. Oh, my Lord. That man can't find his posterior with his own two hands. I'm supposed to honor him? I have to go find him so he knows where he is. How am I supposed to honor him? In all of these cases, what God is requiring of us is supernatural. The supernatural of the life that indwells you. So by faith, I say unto him, Thy will be done. I will love because you love. I will honor because you honor. I will obey because you obey. And I will not lose a thing. 
Because it doesn't come from what I can gather from without. It's not the accumulation of what has been given me. It is literally flowing from the inside of me, from what you've made me to be. It is natural, and I'm going to yield to it. My soul will fight. My circumstances will call me a liar. My situation will make it tough. But all the more I stand in faith and I will present truth. And I will be the Word become flesh. And I will be the ministry of Christ. I determine by faith in the truth within and in the truth without. Good deeds. He's asking you to be who you are. He's not asking you to create anything. Be yourself. That's what he's saying. Do you think it's any trouble for Christ to do good deeds? Do you? Do you have to think he has to sit around trying to figure out what to do next? No. You see, as long as my understanding of who I am and what I need comes from without, I will never ever be able to live supernaturally. But when my faith activates the truth of who I am. And that's the only life I live. That's the life you've been called to. See, this is all window dressing. You're in the womb of faith. You've been called to live by faith. It wouldn't be faith if it all came easily. He called you by faith. The invisible Savior died for you thousands of years ago. And all you had to know of it was what you were taught. But you didn't come down the aisle because of that. You came down the aisle because that same Savior moved you. His Spirit awakened you. You were pulled. Where was that pulling coming from? You didn't know. You just knew and were compelled by the Spirit of God to receive His offering of life. And you said yes. By what? Faith. And that act of faith gave birth to who you are as a new creation. And suddenly, now the enemy wants to make faith a difficulty. But you know what? What he doesn't realize, but Paul succinctly captured, is that every provocation was a provocation of faith. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.